Hey guys, welcome back to the Day in the Life podcast, uh, Career Insights brought to you by ConsultSpot. This is the first podcast that's been recorded after publishing it. And I want to say thank you to everyone who's listened so far, everyone who's followed on social media. If you aren't following it, it's ConsultSpot or ConsultSpot app on all platforms. Uh, do it right now. <laughs> uh, but seriously, it means a lot. Uh, Especially when you're starting from scratch, you know, every like, follow, share goes a long way. Uh, And most importantly, the feedback's been super helpful. Most of it's positive. Some of you had some feedback on questions to ask. Uh, I know some of you wanted to dive deeper on how people got the role, etc. These are all very helpful. So keep sending them my way and I'll try my best to incorporate that in the podcast going forward. But uh, yeah, so for this episode, jumping in. Uh, as with the last three episodes, it's another friend of mine from college. Uh, I guess I'm going to blow through all my college friends first before getting to anyone else. Uh, we're featuring my friend John Maloney. So John and I lived on the same floor uh, in freshman year. We've been friends for a long time. We both started off as computer engineers. Uh, I unfortunately realized I was not cut out for it and saner heads prevailed. I disappointed my family and dropped out out of uh engineering in my second year and switched to a much more manageable uh, resource economics major. But John stuck it out, um, went on to uh, pursue his master's in AI at Stanford and now works at Amazon Robotics. So I think this will be very helpful for anyone uh, interested in a career in tech or in a robotics specifically. So uh, and yeah, before we jump right in, if you want to speak to John or any other guests featured on the podcast, as usual, just send an email to hello at consultspot.com and we'll set you up. Um, so from there, let's just jump in. Hey, John, thanks so much for joining us. Hey there, Adish. Happy to be here. Cool. Uh, John, just to kick us off, could you give us a very high level overview of your role and what you do? Yeah, so I'm a software development engineer at Amazon Robotics, um, and you know I, I design software to help the flow through the warehouses. Got it. And before we dive into your role, just for some background, could you give us a sense of kind of where you went to school? Uh, I know you pursued your master's as well, just kind of how that ties into what you do right now. Yeah, of course. Um, so I went to UMass Amherst, uh, studied computer engineering, um, I'd done a few internships, you know, some I liked, some I didn't, and decided, hey, I'm going to go for my master's. So I went over to Stanford and got my master's in computer science with a concentration in AI. Um, and then one of my internships was at Amazon, so I got a return offer, and there I am. Okay, that's super interesting. What made you pick AI as your focus going uh, coming out of undergrad? Because uh, I know there's a few different ways you can go through, go about it. Yeah. Um, so going into undergrad in the first place, I was always interested in robotics. And unfortunately, the program I was in didn't have a ton of robotics. And the way to kind of shift my focus was to take computer science classes at UMass Amherst. And a couple of those classes I took were artificial intelligence and machine learning. And they just really resonated with me. So then when I went over to Stanford, which is you know one of the hubs of this kind of learning in the world, uh, it was a no-brainer for me to sort of follow that path. And in terms of your journey getting to Stanford, 
I'm curious what your experience was kind of applying to Stanford. What, you know, uh, what other schools did you apply to? What do you think was on your you know, resume or your application that really helped you, you know, uh, stand out? Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, you we both went to UMass. UMass is not a tier one school. So breaking into some of the top, you know, top programs could be harder off of just like the college brand name. So I'm assuming it was a lot of things on your resume uh, that kind of helped position you to like break into that program? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, going into undergrad, I didn't even apply to Stanford. I'm like, oh, it's a whole different application process. Like it, it just wasn't for me at the time. Um, after my time at UMass Amherst, uh, I applied to, I think six schools for grad school, three sort of tier one schools, as you say, uh, being Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon and Stanford and then three not tier one schools. Uh, and I had every intention of going to a quote, not tier one school. Um, then when I got the acceptance into Stanford, obviously that changed everything. I think personally, it is a lot about luck. You know, you have to apply to more than one school because to get, you know, full denial from Berkeley and then full acceptance from Stanford within a week, like it clearly matters who's reading your resume and how they're feeling that day. I think my strongest asset, like yeah, GPA was good or everything like that. My strongest asset was probably the letters written by the professors that I asked. So it's important to sort of build those connections. One, because it's always good to do that. Two, you don't know who they're gonna be connected to on the other side or how eloquently they can corner, they, they can kind of say, you'll be a good fit in that program. Got it. And just in terms of logistically applying for a master's in computer science, was there a specific like exam you had to take or was it just like, you know, because uh, I know there's like GMAT and whatnot for like some of the other programs, but was there anything for you? Uh, just the GRE, so that the general, um, you know, sort of the follow on to the SAT, um, nothing computer science specific. Um, they, you know, they always want to see projects and they want to see things like that. I didn't have a, a, you know, a GitHub portfolio or anything like that. Hmm. It was just strong projects in my courses and then a strong score in the GRE. Okay. And at a high level, could you touch on like what kind of internships did you do? Like, you know, what they were focused on? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my first two internships were more at commercial companies. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're doing, you know, product support, not with the direct customer, but maybe with internal customers or sort of building out a small tool to be used around the company. Um, and then my next two was at a research division owned by Raytheon. And so that was much more sort of slower paced, more into the science behind what you're doing. A lot of like networking protocol, things of that nature. Then I interned at Amazon. And what I think is awesome and will come up more in a future discussion is that internship was completely different than my full-time job now. Interesting. Um, so that was uh, with a global shipping team um, and it was all backend development. So, you know, kind of databases, things of that. Um, and, and that one was a, a much stronger fit for my skills. And coming out of your master's program, did you kind of go through the job search and like apply to a bunch of companies or did you interview with a bunch of places or was Amazon kind of your top choice when they reached back out? For a return offer right so i went through a job search but it was more at the time of finding that first internship 
when I was searching. Um, so I applied to you know over a dozen companies, and and one tip I'll give to anyone interested is you are going to fail tech interviews. Like they are a terrible system to sort of find if you'll be a good fit, and you'll just have a bad day. You'll get a question you don't understand, and you'll you'll fail it. And maybe you'll have to wait a year to reapply for that company, and that's unfortunate. But there are hundreds of companies, so just keep applying and learn from those failures. So you know, I failed at Facebooks, I failed at Googles, I thought I failed at Amazons. They gave me an internship, and it was a great experience. So when they gave a return offer, I was like, you know what, I'm I'm just gonna keep it. You know, I'll be back home in Boston yep. with my friends and family. You know, with Oddish, <laughs> and. Uh, so I didn't do a search following it. The only question was, I had two offers, a return offer from Amazon, and then there was one startup in Silicon Valley. Uh, and I chose to go with the safer route and uh, stick with Amazon. And how'd you kind of land in robotics specifically? I know you briefly alluded to how you kind of focus on AI, but uh, what, what like was it Amazon specifically offering the robotics position that attracted to you or was your educational background like somewhat focused in robotics specifically as well? Yeah, so my educational background, um, specifically the master's was heavily focused in robotics, sort of that concentration in AI. Um, you know, there's a few required courses and then some optional and all the optional ones I took were robotic focused. Interesting. Um, my internship was not robotics focused and my manager at the time had mentioned, hey, um, if you want to come back to Amazon, but maybe not on this team in a more robotics focused team, that's possible. Turns out it wasn't. So I accepted the return offer and then organization restructured and that team reduced in scope. And suddenly I was on the Amazon robotics team. So it kind of worked out to shoehorn my way in there. But I did, you know, study for that. And you're just to clarify the in internship you did at Amazon was between like your master, like year one and year two, or was that during undergrad? Mm -hmm. Okay. No, it was yeah, exactly. It was between first and second year of masters. Okay. And so now you work at Amazon robotics. Is that like a separate group within Amazon that kind of serves the other BUs or does it, is there like a robotics group that sits within the various BUs of, uh, Amazon? Could you explain the structure and then? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not the most clear structure, so feel free to ask more questions, but um, Amazon Robotics stems from Kiva Robotics, which I think acquired back in maybe 2016 as a, as a different uh, company. Um, so Amazon Robotics, it has its own product, the Kiva robot, um, that it sort of looks like a giant Roomba and drives these shelves around the warehouses. Mm -hmm. um, within that, there's this organization called Advanced Technology that I'm part of. And we're technically part of Amazon proper, but we reside and work with Amazon Robotics. So it's it's not exactly clear where the line is, but we do all fall under the Amazon umbrella. Okay. And what is your groups and your specifically like, you know, focus and what does a typical day in your life look like right now? Yeah, so with this advanced technology org, um, is, is a bit of a split. Some uh, teams work on building new, what we call work cells, which are robots to sort of improve the throughput in a, a building or automate functions, whether it's, you know, building up these, you know, cases of boxes or breaking them down. Um, and then my team and a few other teams are more software focused. Um, so we're sort of looking at the warehouse in a big picture 
and trying to see where that bottleneck is and see if we can recommend solutions to, you know, get through that bottleneck. So if we say, hey, this, you know, conveyor is always blocked, we kind of figure out why and sort of put that into our website so that a user at that warehouse, because those are our customers, mm -hmm. can see, hey, uh, you know, lane three is blocked because the trailer is full and hasn't been pulled. Let's pull the trailer and then we'll increase throughput. Got it. So would you say primary focus is kind of helping optimize the Amazon like delivery system, everything from warehouses, you know, just packaging, et cetera, just trying to find any efficiencies that can help optimize the big Amazon machine, if you will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Reducing the time a um, specific item spends in the warehouse. Okay. Are there outside of your team specifically within Amazon robotics, are there software engineers focused on like different projects or is it mostly centered around like optimization of warehouses? Just I'm sure like some of the other listeners would be curious. Yeah. So I think most teams are focused on, you know, optimization of warehouses, but there are a few teams looking at, you know, other types of buildings whether it's related to, you know, Amazon Fresh with the grocery um, products and what sort of automation we can put in that space or other kinds of buildings besides the typical fulfillment center. Okay, that's interesting. I'm curious, based on what you know about like robotics as a growing space, uh, what other companies do you think are doing like interesting work around robot? I know that's a very generalized questions, question, but I'm curious if you've had you know, your friends from your master's program kind of go into different companies and what their experience has been, uh, just some general advice for someone looking to break into this field. Yeah. So robotics is interesting because, you know, you have the mechanical aspect, the hardware aspect, and this sort of software, whether it's AI or not aspect. Um, I think as with most, you'll split into the commercial versus the sort of government or, you know, research oriented companies. Um, so for people at Raytheon, for example, they're doing great robotic um, research, but it's at a different pace because it's, you know, contract based or government backed. Whereas companies, whether it's um, Amazon, Google, Tesla, any of the many Silicon Valley companies can sort of go at their own pace and try out initiatives faster. Um, but the, the, the core work, whether it's software or hardware, is going to be similar across these companies. Got it. And in terms of skills, uh, what does someone need in order to be successful? Like we can dive into the hard skills like languages or, you know, mm -hmm. any other hardware skills, but I'm curious, what do you use on a day to day basis? And what does someone generally in this industry need to know in order to be successful? Yeah, I'll start with, you know, my experience at Amazon first. And although I'm in the robotics org, my role is more as a software developer. So I think it's going to be more similar to software roles at other companies, yep. let alone say a, a robotic specific role. Um, in terms of at Amazon, you need to be proficient in one language to sort of, you know, get past that interview hurdle, but you can use and you will use many different languages on the job. Uh, Amazon is most heavily invested in Java, but you know, if you want to do a quick script in Python, or if you have a good reason as to why Rust or some other more modern language is a better fit, then your project may be able to adapt and include that. Um, and if you're going to do front end work, I think just like everyone, uh, we use a lot of JavaScript. Um, so it's good to sort of know how to read it, 
but you can learn a lot of the details on the job. You just need to sort of get past that interview hurdle. I guess touching on the interview, like what was that experience like for you? I know there's probably some stuff that you can't like cover in detail because they you know, use the same process, but whatever you're about uh, able to share, would love to hear what the interview process was like and what someone who's applying can expect and uh, in general, how to do well. Yeah, so I actually am an interviewer now, so sort of I, I can see it from the other perspective. Mm -hmm. um, as uh, Jake on the previous episode had mentioned, Amazon is very into their leadership principles, which are sort of these, you know, a dozen or so guidelines that they sort of try to work by. Mm -hmm. And in that interview, uh, depending on the role, whether it's an internship or an entry level or higher level up engineer, um, you'll either have one, two, or three interviewers, and they'll be targeting different leadership principles. Um, so they'll ask you some behavioral questions to try to see how you adapt to maybe changing deadlines or ambiguity. And then they'll ask a coding question where you know there'll be a shared screen, we'll, we'll see you code. Um, it doesn't have to compile, you, know, you don't have to have, if you're missing a parenthesis, that's okay. We wanna see how you think. And if we sort of you know, add an enhancement, how do you adapt your code and adapt your thought process? Interesting. And you said you can work off of knowing just one language. Do you mind elaborating on that? Yeah. Do they not yeah. explicitly say like, hey, this is the tech stack you need to work with? Is it more like, hey, whatever you're comfortable with, uh, you can come in and work with that and then we'll kind of teach you the ropes later? Yeah, so the, the further I've gotten in industry, um, the more I've realized it's not important to you know know every language or to be a the best programmer in the world there's sort of more to the job so if you have that one good language to get through that interview because you can pick any language you want for that coding interview um and you show proficient just general understanding of how languages work you know your if loops your sort of things like that um then when you get to the job you know if your team is using java they'll teach you what you need to know. You, you can read their code, you'll kind of set up, sort of like pick up on it. Um, you don't have to know it all going into it. Got it. In terms of your day-to-day, -day, what would you say is the best and the toughest part of your job? I know things might have changed since you've gotten like more comfortable with the role, but mm -hmm. you have to share one in each category. Yeah, so I think the best is, um, you know, the, the people that I work with, um, learning from them. So if, if I submit a code review and, you know, they leave a dozen comments saying what's wrong with it, they do so in a way to improve my coding ability. And that goes back to, you don't have to know everything on that first run. Within those first few months, you'll see the comments on your code reviews start to go down and down because your code is getting better without you even, you know, putting significant effort in. Um, sort of the hardest part can be as you, you get more familiar with the product and you start to take on a higher role, um, the number of meetings you're involved in increases. And yep. you know that's okay as your role starts to shift, but it can still be a little intimidating just when uh, suddenly your, you know, your Wednesdays used to be free and now you have three or four weekly meetings on there. Um, so sort of adapting to that part of the engineering is a little bit harder. And I think that's consistent with most software development roles, right? The more senior you get, you kind of get removed from the day-to-day -day, like mm -hmm. actual writing code and you're now more so managing a team of people and you're stuck. And based on that, like some people either decide to stay at like an individual contributor level and just focus on the code. And uh, for some others, they prefer the management round, especially some people who are like not as technical 
uh, within that you know, uh, space. Right. Um, so you'll, you'll, you'll write less code, but you'll write more important code. You know, you'll, you'll work on those more ambiguous, harder to define problems. And then, you know, a lower level engineer will sort of, you know, carry it across the finish line. Got it. So switching into compensation, how much do you think someone in your role uh, can typically expect to make at Amazon or comparable companies that, you know, have robotics roles? Uh, and I'm curious what the breakdown of that compensation looks like as well. Yeah, so uh, sticking to like the software side, because I can't speak for, you know, the hardware compensation. Um, as you know, mentioned previously on this, it, it varies greatly depending on which company and you know where in the country or the world you are working. Because mm -hmm. seeing you know the, the Silicon Valley salaries versus you know Boston or Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. like the cost of living does play a role in what you're paid. Yep. Um, but I think coming out of college or switching into you know entry level position in this field, you can expect to make you know. Uh, 100, 120, 130 as your sort of base pay. And then with Amazon, you'll get a signing bonus, you'll get stock. So that can sort of bring your total in the, the 160 to 180 range. Um, and then you sort of work up from there. And I think this is comparable to other companies, although some Silicon Valley, Facebook, Twitter type companies may give, you know, higher signing bonus, higher salary, a lower stock option, things like that. Yeah, so it's typically those three buckets, right? The base salary and the uh, signing bonus. It's usually, you know, paid out over one, two, three years. They just pay pay it out in chunks, and then the last one is the stock options uh, that usually vest over a four year schedule. So I think they kind of collectively view that to view your uh, annual uh, compensation. Is that? accurate right yeah i think that's accurate and, and you know two years for the signing and four years for the stocks um and as, as you sort of get promoted uh, at least within amazon your base salary will go up you know a little not a ton but your stock options go up a lot more to sort of keep you invested in that company's success yep and it's interesting this is a completely side note i feel like a mm -hmm. lot of these large tech companies they have more flexibility when it comes to when you're especially when you're negotiating for the role what i've heard is they'll uh be, be flexible when it comes to the sign-on bonus and maybe stock but not as much base salary i wonder if it's more of like a on the back end you know that gets written off differently for accounting purposes without raising the you know payroll too much so just for people to keep in mind if you're in one of these interviews and you know you're negotiating for salary it might be worth it to kind of go after a better sign-on bonus or more stocks because I think that's where they typically tend to have more flexibility. Mm -hmm. I guess the last question is what advice would you give someone who's trying to be in your position? You know, this might be someone in college trying to prep for a mm -hmm. career in robotics or, you know, uh, someone further down the road, someone looking to make a switch. Like uh, what piece of advice would you give someone? Yeah, I mean, um, the biggest one I had already given, and that is you are going to fail when you interview. Um, and it can get disheartening. You, you can kind of get down on yourself because you're like, why did I go to school for it if I can't you know, pass this one coding question? And that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, expect failure and then just keep trying. So sort of you know, apply to every opportunity you see. If there's a practice interview with a coding question, take it just to kind of get that real life experience for what the interview will be like. 
and then eventually you're going to pass. And, you know, at that point you're in, um, just focus on your job. And then if, if you're ready to make a move, then you can start to brush up on those interview skills again. Got it. That's super helpful. Are there any resources you'd recommend people look into where they can kind of get some insights or practice uh, questions or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, the, the most common uh, sort of coding question um, hub is Leap Code, um, and they have great um, practices there. I also did the Cracking the Coding Interview book, which is uh, pretty popular. It's this big green book, and you just kind of read through, you know, they talk about, hey, this process is not ideal, but you have to deal with it. So these are the principles you should know going into it. Cool. That's super helpful. Thanks so much for taking the time today, John. This has been super helpful. Awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, wishing the best to both you and your listeners. Thanks. See you. And that's a wrap. Once again, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you found that helpful. Uh, as usual, if you'd like to speak to John or any of the other guests featured on the podcast or anyone else in a career or industry that you're interested in, feel free to shoot, shoot us a note at hello at consultspot.com and we'll match you with someone uh, for a one-on-one -on -one call. Uh, other than that, you know, hope you liked the episode. If you did, leave a review on one of the platforms that you're listening to on or follow us on uh, social media if you're more into short-form clips. Uh, that's pretty much it. I'll catch you on the next one. See you.